I think I'm, now I'm unmuted. When you preach the parables, you have the unenviable task of interpreting the greatest teacher of the gospel who ever lived. Um, Mark and Sarah shared with me a book. It's called Stories with Intent, and it's probably 900 pages or something. And I couldn't stop reading it, and finally I had to stop reading it so I could work on my sermon. What I'm going to read to you is from Matthew 13. Would you stand and hear God's word with me? Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring, them into, bring it into my barn. Pause for dramatic effect. Jesus says two more stories, and when his disciples get him alone... They say he left the crowd, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parables of the weeds in the field. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus agreed. He doesn't always, but he answered. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people, the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. You please be seated. Let's pray to God for just that, ears to hear. And our song said, open my eyes, Lord, as well. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will open your ears to hear, our ears to hear your word. Not just to hear the words, but to hear with our heart, to hear that message. Jesus, we pray that you meet us here this morning. Help us to consider our own life, our own hearts, our own faith so that our trust in you would be deep and abiding. My prayer is that when the end of the age comes, 
And Lord, when you sit on your judgment throne, that all of us will be hidden in Christ. Bring us to that true faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Weeds. This parable is a lot about weeds. I have a confession for all of you. I hate weeds. I, I invest in a weed sprayer. My wife knows I ardently spray. They've been in our world since the fall. In fact, they were part of the curse. God said to Adam and Eve, you're going to work the grounds and thorns and thistles are beginning to grow. Have you ever noticed how they can take over everything? It's really tough to get rid of them. You get rid of some. I've noticed that when I kill off certain weeds, other weeds pop up. Goatheads apparently really like a ground that's, that's absent other weeds. And then they take over our gardens. They clog my pasture. They can kill animals, literally. Certain weeds can kill animals. And last but not least, they flatten bike tires, which is really... <laughs> really irritating those good plants the plants that we want to grow and be fruitful coexist with weeds as much as we try to control them they're a fact of life weeds make this parable unique for me it's what made it stand out from all the others and they appear to be the central issue of this parable. So what can we learn from those weeds? Well, let's start. Jesus begins this parable like he begins so many others. The kingdom of heaven is like. Then he tells this story. It's interesting what the kingdom expectations were like. I'm going to challenge you to remember that the disciples are not that, and the Jewish nation is not that much difficult, different from where we are. So when you hear this, don't get too judgy. The disciples, like the rest of Israel, were longing for the coming of the kingdom. In Matthew 4, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At hand means that it's close, it's near, and it's about ready to be here. It's about ready to come. And people started questioning that. Even John the Baptist at one point questioned, are you the one? Are we looking for another? They were questioning, is that really true? Even his disciples would say, where's the kingdom you said was going to come? Can you imagine how much more difficult those questions got up until the resurrection even. So you remember I said don't be too judgy. That's even true for us today. There's a great dissonance between our experience and Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom. My friends, you've even heard it today. It hurts. It doesn't feel right. If his kingdom is at hand, why is there still so much sin and evil in this world? 
When is the kingdom going to triumph? When is sin going to be destroyed? When will we see the full coming of your kingdom? You and I know Psalm 23 very well. But the psalm just before is a messianic psalm, Psalm 22. And in Psalm 22, which Jesus quoted as he hung on the cross, that psalm, I believe, articulates this conflict between the kingdom of God and the overwhelming presence of sin and evil in this world. Hear these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Do you hear that? He's praising God and yet chiding him, even in those last words at the, all at the same time. He says, hey, you're the one that's on the throne. You're the one that, that did all this stuff in the past. And his, his implied rebuke is, why not now? These questions are just what Jesus addresses in the teaching of the wheat and the weeds. The parable has an explanation, and there are three parts. The sowing, the growing, and the harvest. I couldn't get harvest to rhyme with the other two. First of all, the wheat and weeds are sown. There's a field. Notice all the, all the many of the parables have an agrarian emphasis Obviously, he took the nearest things to them, right? Maybe today he would write about an app developer, but in this time, it was agrarian. This is what they all could relate to it, one way or the other. There's a field. Jesus says there was a man who went out so good seed, but he and his men, it says they all were sleeping and in a sinister way and secretly in darkness. The enemy comes out and sows weeds among the good wheat. You can imagine some time goes. And these weeds were probably something called bearded darnel. Don't, don't take my word for it. I just looked it up. And it does look a lot like wheat. It's a weed that grew in the area. In its earliest stages, it kind of has the, the little seeds like, like weed does. But it's not until it's matured that you could easily tell the difference. So now we've got the one who sows the good seeds. And Jesus tells us he is the son of man. It's Jesus who sows the good seeds. Notice it's not us. It's Jesus who sows those good seeds. Son of man is a very interesting title. It's a title that Jesus used most often for himself. Uh, I like it in Daniel 7. The son of man is actually handed power and authority from the ancient of days. 
Jesus is the son of man who sows, uh, but later on in this chapter, he is also the son of man who judges. Now we've got the field. This field has been a lot of subject of interpretation of this parable. I'm just going to tell you what I think um, and what I've read and what I think the Word says. The field is the world. Jesus says that clearly. The world at large. The interpretation has been, was it the church only? Or is it the world? The world is not distinct from the church. The church is in the world, right? And I would hasten to say, and sometimes infected by the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. The wheat and weeds are people. Those in the kingdom and those outside the kingdom. Those who belong to Christ and those who do not. And then we've got the enemy. Pretty clearly here, it's the devil. It's the, the lion who goes about roaring, seeking to destroy. And you notice that he actually sows the seeds. It's intentional. Uh, my weeds seem to grow on their own. These are planted. They're sowed. How do they grow? Well, Jesus says they grow together. You can imagine the farmer watering this field. But I want you to notice something here. The servants are surprised that there are weeds. Well, when I have a garden, I'm not surprised that there are weeds, and I doubt these guys were either. Why would you be surprised that there are weeds? They happen naturally. This question seems to be related to the quantity of the weeds. They immediately think that something has happened that's not the normal field. There are so many that it must have been intentional. In fact, it it appears that they're so overwhelming, they run the risk of choking out the good seeds. So the servants ask the master, how did the weeds get here? And the master knows. And they ask him, didn't you sow good seed? It's almost accusing. Did you mix the weeds in with your good stuff? And he says, no, I sowed good seeds. I didn't do this. There's an enemy has done this. My friends, the key point of this parable I think is this next question and the answer so they logically say if that's been done by an enemy shouldn't we pull the weeds shouldn't we weed the field that's what we do right we clean out the field but the master says no He says if you gather up the weeds, you're going to take the wheat right along with them, and they're going, they need to grow together. They're mixed. They'll look alike for a time, but in the end, we're going to be able to tell the difference. When the wheat matures, you can take out the weeds, and it won't threaten the wheat. In fact, what this weed apparently does is intertwine its roots with other plants in the field. 
So it gives it even more urgency, right? If I pull, I will pull up the good seeds. So he surprises them by telling them to leave it. And he doesn't even say leave it for a while. He says leave it till the harvest comes, till the end. Let's consider the harvest. What is a harvest for? Why in an agrarian society did you look forward to the harvest? Gathering the harvest in meant provision. It meant feed all winter. It meant being cared for. That's why our Lord is called the God of the harvest. So the harvest is a joyful time. And it is time to bring in all that you've worked hard for. But the Son of Man, or the the Master, says, gather the weeds first. Why? Not sure why. Maybe to keep that seed from intermingling with the wheat. Maybe they're going to save some of the wheat for next year's planting. All sorts of reasons, but for whatever reason... Take the weeds, gather them, bundle them, and burn them. And then take the wheat and gather it into the barn. I hope I'm not reading too much into this symbol. But the barn is the place of safety, it's the place of care, it's the place of treasure. That was their treasure in those days, right? They're, they're, they kept it safe. I think of it as my freezer out in the, in the uh, garage. My freezer is full of uh, half a beef. I don't want the power to fail. Because if the power fails, it'll be ruined. Same thing here. This is a place of safety, security, and it's where the, the master gathers his treasure. So Jesus explains, the harvest is the judgment at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. At the end of time, Jesus says, the angels will come and gather all, and I want you to hear this carefully, lawbreakers and causes of sin. He'll throw them into the fiery furnace where there is endless punishment, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. But the sons of the kingdom will be gathered and will shine like their father. So there's two principles that I want you to consider as Jesus tells us this parable. The first one is the coming of Jesus' kingdom is not immediate and is not without opposition. Just like the wheat and weeds exist together and are mixed and intertwined, today in our world, there are sons of the kingdom and there are sons of the evil one. I was really uh, reminded today of a, or, or in my study for this sermon, as you hear this sermon and you hear when we talk about the evil ones, 
Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. So when you hear me talk about sons of the evil one, remember that the causes of evil and the causes of sin are all over, and they can infect my heart and your heart and even Christ's church. In the world, it's obvious, right? It's all around us, good and evil. Seems like there's a lot more weeds than wheat, and the weeds grow faster, they're greener, they're more prosperous. Evil is triumphing in our world. Where there's wheat, there will be weeds, and lots of them. Evil surrounds us. Injustice, racism, despotic rulers, exploitation, abortion, sexual trafficking, divorce, infidelity, slavery, child abuse. I could go on. So many examples of rampant evil. But what is shocking and almost hard to bear is that Jesus tells us that's the way it'll be. That's the way it is. And that's the way it's going to be to the end of this age. It's not time for the harvest. Let it grow. Both the sons of the devil and the sons of the kingdom. Please don't hear me wrong. Jesus is not telling us that we should not fight evil. The church has been an influence for good in this world for many thousands of years. Even in some of the first plagues when the Romans were leaving people to die, it was the Christians that stepped in and took care of, of people struggling with disease. William Wilberforce fought the abhorrent slave trade. The abolitionists in our country spoke out. Unless I tell you that the church did everything good, right? There were also people who used Christians who used the word of God to justify slavery. In fact, chose the preachers for their slaves so that the preachers would not get out of line and interpret the word too literally. But Jesus is not telling us that we shouldn't resist evil, that we shouldn't spread the gospel, that we shouldn't work to see the flourishing of the kingdom. But he is warning us this. We should not expect that what is going to be true at the end of time, that the weeds and evil will be uprooted and destroyed, will be true now. Let me, let me say that again. It's crucial for us to understand that we ought not to expect that what's going to be true at the end of time, weeds and evil, will be destroyed. That that is something we should expect to be true now. That is a misplaced expectation. How do we demonstrate it? Well, at the risk of getting political... 
One area is politics. If we only get the right people in the office, and by the way, depending on which side of the spectrum you're on, the right people may be the wrong people for some other people. But if we just get those right people in office, if we get the right judges on the bench, boy, the wheat will extinguish the weeds, right? While we do want people who love righteousness and justice to lead us, our hope for righteousness, our hope for the triumph of righteousness is not in a party, it's not in a candidate, it's not in a judge. They can do a lot of good, maybe, but they cannot bring in the kingdom. My friends, you cannot also expect that you'll be free and that I will be free from the effects of sin and brokenness in our lives. We will not be sheltered in every temporal way from the effects of evil. And we will not be free of the dominion of evil in this world. In case you doubt that, read about your brothers and sisters around this world. They are not free from some of the worst aspects of evil. Jesus says there will be wheat and weeds until the very end. His kingdom is here, but not fully. It's here already, but not yet. We must live with that tension. Evil will not only be present, but will appear to prosper and reign. And that'll be true in the church, too. Some people look at this parable as not at all about the church. It does seem clear from verse 36 that that field is the world, but I don't believe Jesus is making that distinction. I have heard this parable interpreted strictly as the church. But he's not saying that the world's out there, the church is in here. This parable is about the world, and the church is in the world. This parable shows that what we know and experience, even in the church, were affected by weeds in the world. In a large megachurch a few weeks ago, a plumber found $200,000 hidden in the wall. That's really weird. What indicates that Jesus is talking about both the world and the church? Well, first of all, Jesus says that the weeds are among the sons of the kingdom. If Jesus were simply saying, that's true out in the world, but in here, you Christians, you're going to be perfect. Yes, there are Christians out in the world and among the weeds in there. That would have been so obvious that Jesus wouldn't even have to say it. But then add his words in verse 41 that the angels will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. That's covenant language. That's church and kingdom language. There's a message for the church as well as the world. There will be wheat and weeds within the church. Well, even within the 12, there was Judas. Judas. A weed if ever there was one. 
Earlier in Matthew 7, Jesus makes this point. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. There are going to be people who seem to belong, but don't belong. Jesus even teaches the parable of the builders, two builders, two houses. These houses, they look the same, but there's one difference. What is it? It is what they are built on. It is the foundation they're built on. One's building on rock, and the other's building on sand. Wheat and weeds. And then the Apostle Paul makes the warning even more clear. 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Well, there it is then. (laughs) Evil's here. Evil's going to be with us. What should our response be? I believe we need to respond in three ways. Mercy, patience, and perseverance. First of all, mercy. There's mercy in allowing the weeds to grow until harvest, isn't there? That's his mercy for those who are apart from Christ. The harvest has not yet come. The harvest is still future. The fact that the harvest or the judgment is not here, it's not here yet, that is mercy for those who don't belong to Christ. In fact, Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. I love this passage. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Every day that Jesus delays, or seems like a delay to us, and the harvest doesn't come, is another day of salvation for someone to come to Christ to be part of his kingdom. I, I recently heard about the project to bring the gospel into every nation, language, and tongue. And they believe that the groups that are, that are doing this, they believe that they will have covered every last dialect in the next three to five years. It's amazing. The word will be available in every tongue. So Jesus talks about patience. Peter talks about God's patience, and that is both God's patience and our patience. If God's patient, we must be. Well, that's hard to be patient, isn't it, sometimes? Especially with this. In the church, of course we need biblical discipline, but it urges patience in the church for even those who are living apart from Christ. That patience and that mercy that brings them back. It's not either or. 
It's both and. It can be discipline and patience. Use the example of Apostle Paul that called out the incest in the church at Corinth. And then after repentance came along, said, now, restore. We believe it was that brother. Restore that brother. The harvest has not yet come. And that patience is also patience with those who are not yet sons of the kingdom. Finally, perseverance. There will always be weeds within the wheat. And though we wait for the harvest, we must not become comfortable if we're living in our sin to say, well, he hasn't come back yet. I can live as I want. I just might get another day. No, he calls us to righteousness. He calls us to holiness. He also calls us to live for him. We don't live for ourselves. We live and persevere in the face of evil on every side, and it may at times be within the church, but these effects of evil don't excuse us from shining and living kingdom life in the world and in the church. Remember I said there were two principles. This brings me to the second principle. The first one was, the kingdom is not immediate, and it is not without opposition. But the second one, praise God, is that the full coming of the kingdom, of Christ's kingdom, is certain. The kingdom is coming. This age is going to close. Judgment will come. As Christians, we should look forward to that harvest, right? The time of harvest is a time of rejoicing. We will be gathered into the barn. We will be gathered with him. There will be a complete and final separation. They're going to grow together now. But when the harvest, the judgment comes, they will be completely separated. There will be no more mixing, no more growing together. There will be no more of that when Jesus returns. There will be two outcomes. Two final destinies, two eternities. It's one way or the other. It's not many paths to God. The weeds will be gathered and thrown in the fiery furnace. Where have you heard that imagery before of the fiery furnace? Who else was thrown in a fiery furnace? Well, in Daniel, his three friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace because they would not worship the golden image. They were thrown in the furnace because they obey God. They obeyed God. Evil appears to rule. But it didn't. At the end of the time, it will at the end of time it will be the opposite. All lawbreakers, all causes of evil, our Lord says, those who have disobeyed God will be thrown into a fiery furnace. All those who have opposed God in every bit of evil, every evil word, every evil thought, every evil action, temptation, the devil and his angels, all of it in the fiery furnace to be burned. We don't preach much about hell. This is a picture of hell. It's of eternal separation from God, a place of anguish and torment, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, 
place of unspeakable suffering and punishment forever. Hell is not something we like to consider. John Machen said, these words weren't spoken by Augustine, or I can't remember who else he named, but they were spoken by our Lord Jesus. Jesus spoke about hell. He is the one who endured hell at the cross for our sins. He is the man who is well acquainted with suffering and grief, the man of sorrows. He is well acquainted with hell. He endured it in Calvary at our place. He was forsaken by God for our sins. Because of his endurance for us, hell is only one of the possible destinations. Heaven and glory stand as the other destination. Whether the harvest or judgment comes, for the sons of the kingdom, there will be everlasting life with God in Christ. Jesus says in verse 43, the righteous, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Isn't that great? We'll be righteous. No. It's not our righteousness that makes us a son of the kingdom. It's Jesus' righteousness. It is an imputed righteousness, a righteousness that is awarded, that becomes ours, not earned, but becomes ours through faith in Christ. Jesus says we will shine like the sun, shining with joy, seeing the face of our Savior, shining with glory, but that glory that doesn't come from us, but it is radiated from God, and it's reflected in us. Glory that reflects from God and a glory that will reflect back to God for all eternity. That light is not shining on us. The light is shining on Christ. Glory upon God our Father and glory upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if that's true, that the wheat and weeds will grow together now, and that there's a day coming of eternal separation. We must be found in Christ. We should live with mercy, patience, and perseverance. We must take those opportunities to share our faith, to tell Christ and tell the world about Christ. There's a saying that came out of a conference a while ago, hell is real and time is short. Yeah, it is. That is the reality we should live in. We should believe in him ourselves and go tell others about this mercy of God for as much time as there is left. My friends, may this prayer of Jesus that he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come be ours every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come means that you rule us by your word and your spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you and preserve your church and make it grow. May it grow, O oh God. And then destroy the devil's work, destroying every force that revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Destroy them 
and do this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. Our Father in heaven, help us examine our own lives. There's a day coming when Jesus will return and separate those, a day of judgment, but a day of glory for those who belong to you. May we be found faithful. May we be hidden in Christ. But until then, Lord God, I pray that we in New Life Church will be faithful, sharing your good news, and we would tell everyone who will listen that there is eternal life found in Jesus, and even apart from him, there is no life at all. Oh God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.